2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 4 still tonight. Um, it's been great, hasn't it, having us young guys up here uh, preaching the Word of God every week. <laughs> I include myself. Now I'm part of it. I'm up here. But it's been awesome to see these young guys, honestly, to see them develop from the first time they spoke till now. Uh, they're really doing an awesome job, and, and God's really blessing them. Uh, I got to tell you a story. I've always thought, like, even today, I thought, man, I would love to just play football one more time. I would love to strap it up and go out there one more time. Well, last night, uh, I had one of those Jeff Foxworthy moments. So um, I was trying to put our antenna, our Starlink antenna, up on the roof. And uh, I had a ladder that didn't reach all the way up. Well, so I'm climbing up. The, the ground's a little uneven. And I'm almost there to where I can get on. And then there, of course, is that, that last step that says what, right? This is not a step. <laughs> so I think I just if I can get to that one, I'm going to be okay. And there it went. It gave out, stripped over, and I come falling back. It was like something in the Matrix. It, was like, it felt like I was in midair forever. And then I met the ground, and I realized I do not want to play football anymore. So uh, if I'm limping around, that's why. Um, let's go ahead and uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get started uh, in our study. Father God, we come to you this evening, Lord, and um, God, it's been so awesome to, uh, to study your word. God, you've given us this word freely, Lord, that that we can dive into it, God, and, and it's really that your heart, you're pouring out your heart to us, your person to us, and so Father, as we come to study your word tonight, we just pray that uh, you would bless your word as it goes forth, God, your, your, your promises are that it won't come back void, and so Father, we know that is where all the power lies, it's not in the speaker, but in your word, and so Father, we just pray that you would bless it tonight, Lord, and bless the hearts to receive it, and God, that we would Use it in a way, God, that would bring glory and honor to you. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, so we're in the last chapter now. We're in chapter 4. Uh, and this has just been just an awesome study through, uh, through Timothy here. Um, because we're getting to see this, this great man of God now. He's, he's coming to the end of his life, and he is pouring out his heart, and he's pouring everything of himself into this young disciple that he has named Timothy. You know, and we're reading and we're studying really uh, what was probably the last known writings of the Apostle Paul before he passed away. Um, you know, and he told Timothy uh, throughout his letter, he told Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. So I'm going to go back a little bit in 2 Timothy 4.2. He said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and, and instruction. And we saw in chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul told Timothy of, of the, the greatness and of the importance of the Word of God and where it should be in our lives. He told Timothy that it was actually breathed out of the mouth of God. It's not just writings, but it is breathed from the mouth of God. It is written by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not man-made. It's not man-written. It is breathed from the mouth of God. And so he told Timothy, be ready in season, out of season, whether people uh, receive it or don't receive it, whether you're popular or not popular, be ready to, to spread the word of God. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. He told Timothy to continue 
and be ready to preach the word. He told them to preach the word because there was going to come a time, right, when when people are going to fall away from the word, when people aren't going to respect the word, when people are going to gather to themselves preachers and teachers who's just going to tickle their ears. Really what he's saying there is uh, teachers and preachers that are just going to tell them what they want to hear, right? Whatever sin you want to do, that's okay. And that's what people, uh, you can look around today, that's what people are searching for today. They want people that just to tell them whatever I want to do is okay. And that's what Paul warned Timothy of, that there was going to come this time when that's what, that's what these people are going to want. And so to stay true to the word, because many people are going to turn away from the word of God, but the word of God is eternal and it doesn't change. And he says to stay true to that. And we saw how, again, plenty of teachers are out there today and back in Paul's day to, to tell them, hey, do whatever you want to do. And then the final thing in last week, we saw the, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, it says, But you be, if, be sober in all things, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul's last charge last week to Timothy was to be level-headed in all things, to be, uh, to be temperate in all things, and that he was going to be dealing with all these different types of people. So he needs to be sound in the word of God, and he tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And the work of an evangelist is, is what? To bring people face to face with Jesus Christ. That's what the work of an evangelist is. When we're evangelizing to people, we're bringing people face to face with Jesus Christ. We're bringing people face to face with the fact of their sin and showing them the one who can help them with that, showing them the one who can rescue them from that life and showing them a Savior that is standing there with open arms ready to take them, take them back. A Savior that chose to give up his life and to be beaten and mocked and spit on for his very creation that would yell crucify him. We take people face to face with Jesus. That's what the work of an evangelist is. And while we may not all have the gift of evangelism, we all, every one of us in here, can do the work of an evangelist. Because we have what? We have the Word of God. We can take people to the Word of God. We can take them to, to Romans 6 and show them where God says the wages of sin is what? Death. We can take them to Romans 3 where it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how good you think you are and how many charities you support, and how many old ladies you help across the street, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so therefore, what? We need a Savior. And then we can take them to that Savior and show them how, in First John, how Jesus made the propitiation or the payment, the paid in full for our sins. And we can take them to uh, John 3.16, John 5.24, John 6.40. That's where Jesus says, Trust me, and I'll give you eternal life. We don't have to be rocket scientists to know four or five verses. And that is the work of the evangelist. And we all have people in here that we know that needs Jesus Christ. But we shy away from it. When Paul is telling us, listen, do the work of an evangelist. You have the cure to the world's biggest problem. If you had the cure for cancer, you would want to get it out there. You have the, work of some, the cure for something worse than that. 
you have the cure for something that is going to cure someone from eternal separation from Jesus Christ. Do the work of an evangelist. And now we come to this next section in 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So now we see now Paul kind of switches to himself. And we see why Paul now, all throughout this letter, has been encouraging and building up Timothy and telling him to stand strong and telling him to, to kindle afresh this gift of God that he has, this gift that is within him, to hold fast to sound doctrine that he's been taught, to stand firm against false doctrines that are out there, to be willing to suffer for Jesus Christ, and to correct those in error. Paul reveals why he's been building Timothy up for so long in this letter, and it's because Paul's at the end of his life. And Paul's about to reveal that sad truth to Timothy that I'm about to die. I'm about to move on out of this world. And so Paul's been, been mentoring and discipling Timothy for probably over 20 years at this point. And now there's this beautiful friendship that, that really Paul saw as more of Timothy as his son. And now it's about to come to its, its earthly end and be broken up. And that must have been hard for Timothy to hear and to understand that, that Paul's not going to be here anymore. This person that, that was always there for me, this person that always defended me, is soon going to be leaving this, this earth. Just imagine, for, if you guys will, that person in your life, and we all have them, that person that you confide in, that person that you pour your heart out to, that person who's got your back no matter what, no matter what anybody else says, that person that has your back, that person, like Sonny said to share, I got you, babe, right? That person, remembering having that person that loves you and, and, and is always going to be there for you, and now imagine being told, I'm about to go. I'm about to leave this world. I'm about to pass on from this world. And some of us in here maybe have recently had to come face to face with that truth, that that person may no longer be with us. It may be a husband or, or a wife or a mother or a father that, that we pour our heart out to, that is the one that's there to listen to every trouble that we have and support us. And that's a hard truth to come to reality of. That's tough. And it's not what any of us look forward to, but we all will face it. And that's why Paul's been building Timothy up throughout this whole letter. Timothy, while facing all these diff difficult times that's going to come on him, is now going to do it without his biggest cheerleader, without his biggest encourager, without his biggest confidant, without his biggest supporter. And that's why Paul's been so intent in this final letter. He's about to leave this earth, and he's passing the baton, so to speak, to say, now, Timothy, it's you. I've poured everything that I have of me into you, and now it's your turn to go out and lead this gospel. His mind is on his dear friend Timothy, but it's also on the welfare of the church of God because he wants to make sure people that have sound doctrine and good teaching are set up in these churches. And it's on the purity and the simplicity of the gospel. That's why Paul over and over again in his letters continually stresses that, the purity and the simplicity of the gospel, to not get it confused and complicated. 
because it's a simple thing. He's left Timothy some very good advice through all throughout this letter. Back in chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. 2 Timothy 2, 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And that's not only good advice for Timothy, but that's good advice for all of us, right? That's why it's in, that's why it's in there. That's why God has given us these letters. Because the grace of God is bigger and it's better than anything you'll ever face in this life. And believe me, there's tragedy waiting. There's hard times waiting for each and every one of us in here. But the grace of God is bigger than any of that. And that's why Paul keeps directing Timothy to those things. And a close relationship with Jesus Christ will, and the foundation that he offers will weather any storm that this life can throw at you. If you have that foundation that's in Jesus Christ. Jesus taught about that in Matthew 7. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, they be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. See, a strong relationship with Jesus Christ is key to continuing in this Christian life and continuing to walk by faith if we have that foundation of Jesus Christ and we have that strong relationship with him. That no matter when hard times come, I know I've got a Savior who is bigger. No matter what this world throws at me, I know that I've got a Savior who loves me more than what this world throws at me. No matter what problems come, I've got a Savior that's bigger than my problems. And when those trials and when those troubles come, and notice I say when, not if, because they're coming. We will all face them. We will all go through the loss of loved ones. We'll all face sickness. We'll all face hard times. Do you have the foundation of that close relationship with Jesus Christ to get you through? That's what Paul's trying to stress to Timothy here. And then in verse 6 there, Timothy says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Let's go back. I'm going to take a look just at a, a kind of a reference to the drink offering in, uh, in the book of Numbers. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be careful to present my offering, my food for my offering by fire, of a soothing aroma to me as the, at the appointed time. You shall say, them, say to them, this is the offering by fire which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, one year old, without defect, as a continual burnt offering every day. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also, uh, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with a fourth of hen of um, beaten oil. It is, uh, as I commanded, a burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Then the drink offering with it shall be poured forth uh, of a hen of each of lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb shall be offered at twilight as the grain offering of the morning and as its drink offering you shall offer it. An offering by fire a soothing aroma to the Lord. 
So Paul's going back to this imagery of this drink offering that's poured out to God. This sacrifice that's being made that, that God says it is a sweet or a soothing aroma that comes up to him. You see there in verse 10 that this sweet aroma it says to the Lord. So after they had laid out the burnt offering or the uh, burnt offerings and the grain offerings, they would pour this drink offering on top, and that, that sweet aroma would rise up to God. And God said, now Paul's starting to refer that to his life, this final act of offering that that he's offering up to God, which is his life. Paul in Romans 12:1 says, therefore. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul here in Romans was telling them that our bodies, our bodies are an act of worship to God. What we do in the flesh should be an act of worship to our God. How we carry ourselves is an act of worship to God. The things that we do in our flesh is an act of worship to God. All the sufferings and all the shame, the beatings and the ridicule that Paul faced, all that, all that he said that he's went through, he said, I've laid them out before God. I've laid them out before God. This is my drink offering to God. This is my offering to God, my life that I'm about to lay down. And as he awaits his execution, that's got to be on top of his mind. That soon his blood's going to be shed, just like the wine was poured out. His blood is going to be shed for his, his Savior on top of everything else he's already done for him. That's what Paul is, the imagery that Paul is trying to get through here. That soon he's going to be beheaded. And I, that is a bloody mess if you've not seen one um, or read about those. Th those are bloody messes. But church history records that the Apostle Paul ran to the chopping block to give his life for Christ. See, the Romans, their manner of execution for non-Romans was, was what? Crucifixion. But for Romans, it was, it was decapitation, which I'm not sure which one would be much better, but um, that's how they, they did it. And so Paul says, my life now is being laid out for God. I, I'm giving everything that I have to Jesus Christ. And then he says that um, the time of his departure is at hand. And that word departure, um, it really means like an unloosening or letting go of an unloosening. It was used uh, of prisoners being unloosened from their chains, being let go from their chains, like Paul soon would be. See, he was a prisoner bound by chains right now, but pretty soon he was going to be set free. Pretty soon he was going to be loosed from every, all these things that were troubling him. Like Paul, he soon is going to be set free from all these things, and soon he's going to be with his Lord Jesus. It was also used as a seaman's term, uh, meaning like the unloosing of ropes so they could set the boat out to, to go out to the, to the sea. So Paul's saying here, my life is over. My life is coming to an end. And soon I'm going to be loosed of everything that holds me down. Pretty soon I'm going to be loosed of all this heartache that this world has. All this sickness that this world has. All this pain that this world brings. All this heartache that this world brings. 
Pretty soon I'm going to be loosed of all that, and I'm going to a city whose maker and whose builder is God. Because they can do what they want to with my body, but they can't change the fact that I'm going to be with God, that I'm going to be with my Savior. And pretty soon they're going to set me free. They think they're killing me, but they're setting me free from all these things that are hindering me right now. You see how Paul had no fear? He had no fear there at all. And what a great outlook that would be for us as believers. See, we cling so much to this life, don't we? We, we cling so much to this life. And we don't look forward enough to the life that is to come with Jesus. That's, that's what we should be longing for is that. Not this world. What would, what, how awesome would it be if we as believers would really think that way and really live that way? That set me free from this world and let me go be with my Savior. See, Paul said that that's the greatest thing that could ever happen to him. In Philippians 3, he said, But whatever things seem gain to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish, so that I may also gain Christ. Paul says, knowing Jesus closer and closer and closer is what I long for above anything else. Anything else this world can offer me, to me it's, it's like trash. I don't care. If it takes me away from Jesus, it's like trash. If it's going to hinder my walk with Jesus, it's trash. Because what my focus is, is getting to know my Savior, Jesus Christ, and growing closer and closer and closer to him every day. And Paul said over and over again, I would rather leave this world and be with Jesus than to stay here. But God has work for me to do, so I'll stay. Paul told the Philippian church that whether I live or whether I die, as long as Jesus Christ is exalted and glorified in this body, then that's what matters. That's what matters. He tells them, you know, if I remain, it's going to be more, more fruitful labor for me, more opportunities, but I would rather leave this whole world and be with Jesus. Trust me. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I would rather go and see Jesus in all his glory and see him face to face than to stay a hundred year, more years here. Let me go now. What would it be like if we lived every day like that as believers? If we lived in that victory as believers? And then in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And now Paul goes naturally like any of us would as we begin to, to see our last days ahead. Paul starts to think about and refer back a little bit to his life. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished this course of faith that God has laid out for me. And that fought the good fight, I really believe that Paul's talking about not so much that he was awesome, but that the fight that he did and the, f the fight that he had was worth it because it was for Jesus. That word good actually can be translated beautiful or precious. Paul's saying here, the battle and all the things that I went through, it was worth it because it was for Jesus. All the hardships that I went through, 
that's the beautiful fight. All the things that I laid aside, that's the beautiful fight because I did it for Jesus. Not that I did it because I'm awesome. I did it, and it's beautiful, and it's good because it was for Jesus. That's why it's good. And it was worth it because it was for the cause of Christ. Because I stood, and I was counted on God's side. No matter what anybody else said about me, no matter what the world said about me, and how they put me down, when it come down to it, you would always see me standing and counted on the side of God. Can we say that about our lives, Christian? That every time it comes down to it, we are standing on the side of God with every decision that we make. Paul said it's worth it. It's worth it. When you come down to the end of your life, trust me, it will be worth it that you can look back and say, no matter what, I stood on the side of God. It will be worth it. You may not think it now, but it will be worth it in the end. And if anyone knew about hardship and anyone knew about battle, it was the Apostle Paul. He was beaten everywhere he went. He was ridiculed. He was talked about. He was slandered. They tried to murder him. No matter where he went, he stood on God's side and he preached the word, whether it was in season or out season. Whether people wanted to hear it or didn't, he preached the word. Ephesians 6 says this. Because the Apostle Paul knew that this fight was more than just this world, right? He knew that it was more, that there was more to it. Ephesians 6 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the, um, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Paul knew this battle was far beyond the flesh. He knew that this was a spiritual battle that anybody that will stand out and start to walk for Jesus Christ, they're going to be attacked spiritually. And he says that's why we have to stand strong in our faith in Jesus Christ to grow closer to Jesus Christ every day because that battle is coming. If you step out and want to live for God, that battle is coming. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy your testimony and to destroy your life so that you will not portray Jesus to others. But Paul's saying no matter what it is, right, it's worth it. It's a beautiful fight. It's worth it. And then Paul says that I finished the course or I finished my race, he says. We know Paul mentioned uh, a race several times. In 1 Corinthians 9, he said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes at the, in the games exercises self-control in all things. And in Acts chapter 20, it says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. 
See, Paul tells the church of Ephesus that there's nothing in this life more dear to him than knowing that I am staying on the course, that I am running the race, that I am doing the work that God has for me. Nothing else is more important than that. We as Christians have to get that mindset that there is nothing more important than that. Your 401k is not more important than that. Your popularity is not more important than that. And so Paul now starts to describe this life like a, a marathon. Now, I know you can't tell it now, but I used to be athletic at one point. <laughs> and while I never was a track star, I, I did run some decent distances for me. Um, but you know what it's like after you've been, you've been on that long run, right, and now you start to see the finish line. You start to see, oh, okay, now I can see the goal. Now I can see the end. And you start to get this burst of energy, don't you? Because now I can see. I can see all this work that I put in back here. I can see. It's worth it. I can see the finish line. That's what Paul's going through here. He's saying, I can look back now at my life and everything that I did and everything that I went through because now I'm coming to the end of it and I can see the prize. I can see the goal. I can see what it was for. But you get this little little burst of energy when you can see the end. Now for me now, it's more of a uh, burst of a chest pain and shortness of breath <laughs> as, as I try to run. But for the Apostle Paul, it was, I see the end now. I see that everything I went through was worth it because I can see the end. And he gets this burst of of excitement and energy to know that pretty soon I'm loose and I'm going to be with Jesus. That's what Paul's experiencing. He's coming to the end of his life and he knows that pretty soon I'm going to be with him. And he says, I've done it. I've pushed through. I've done what God has called me to do. I have kept the faith and I have lived the life that God has called me to. And that was Paul's greatest desire. We read all through that. Paul in Philippians said this, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what uh, lies behind and wrought, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Above all else, you can read all through Scripture. That was Paul's goal. And that's what he's trying to impress on all of us like he was Timothy. Let that be your goal in life. Let that be that no matter what, what's behind me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press on to what God has called me to. That needs to be our goal in life. And let's look at the last verse here. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says this, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says that in light of the fact that he has fought the good fight, in light of the fact that he has kept the faith, in light of the fact of all those things, there is a crown, there is a reward that is laid up for me, that Jesus himself, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. In the Greek that, uh, in the Greek games, there was a uh, there was a wreath, 
and it was called a Stephanos. It was a, a victor's crown if you won those games. And it was a huge, huge deal. Just like, you know, how we treat our Olympians. I mean, they're, they're celebrities. And they were there in that time, too. They were received this, this, this crown, of a victor's crown, and they were celebrities. It was a highly coveted prize. And not only for them, but it, for their home city, right? Their home city got to reap the benefits and the, uh, the things of, of having this, this great person come from them. Just like when we are living a godly life, we are doing what? We are glorifying God who is in heaven when we are living the way we're supposed to live. And now Paul here says that he's comparing this to this crown of righteousness that he's going to receive, this victor's crown, because he has kept the faith and he has done what God has called him to do. And not only will he receive honor for living a godly life, and finishing the course that God laid out for him, he says that now I will have this crown. And I think it's Revelations chapter 4. It says that we get to take this crown and we get to do what? We get to lay it back at the feet of Jesus because he alone is the one that's worthy. Because it's all because of him that we were able to do it. How awesome will that be to be able to have a crown and say, nah, not me, Jesus. You. It's you. We'll lay it back at Jesus' feet if we receive that crown. And see, now I think Paul now is a, he's starting to envision that day, meaning the time, you know, the Bema seat of Christ when we're all going to receive our reward. We'll all face a judgment. Now, it's not for our eternal life. It's going to be for how we lived our life. I think Nate talked about it a little bit on Sunday. That we'll all stand before this Bema seat of Christ to receive reward if we've lived a godly life for Jesus Christ. Can you imagine we're going to be in line and see the Apostle Paul receive this crown, hoping that we'll get to have that crown also. But we'll be in line and get to, to, to enjoy that with him, to celebrate that with him. All these patriarchs that we read about through Scripture all our lives will be there with them on this day. Man, how awesome that is going to be. And how awesome is it going to be that we'll see Jesus face to face on that day. We'll all go to that judgment. If you're a believer, you're going to go to that judgment seat. And we'll give an accounting for our life. Whether wood, hay, or stubble, or gold and precious stone, we'll all stand there and give an account for it. And now Paul says, it's going to be rewarded to me by the righteous judge. How ironic is it that he's in jail right now because he's thought of as a criminal and he's being unjustly persecuted. But on that day, right, he's going to face the righteous judge, the one who knows all things, and he's going to be rewarded for how he lived his life. And that's what we need to desire as Christians. And no matter what, what will matter is how we lived our life as Christians. It doesn't matter what this world thinks of us. It doesn't matter if you're thought of as closed-minded or a bigot or whatever. 
and in some countries a criminal, what's going to matter is, did I stand on the side of Jesus when it came down to it? Did I stand on his side? What matters is I'm going to stand before the righteous judge who knows me, and the Bible says I'll be laid bare. That's what matters. We can make excuses all we want, but there'll be no excuses there. God's going to lay your life out before you. We all have that day coming. Whether we go in the rapture or whether we go by the grave, there's a day coming when we'll stand at the bema seat of Christ if we're a believer. Hopefully we're all at that, that one. We want to be at that one. And Paul says, it's not only me that's going to receive this crown, but who? Everyone who loves his appearing. Everyone who's lived a life that says, yeah, Jesus, come. I'm ready, Jesus. Are we living that way? Or are we living in a way that we may shrink back when we see Jesus coming? First John said this, Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, not if he appears, but when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. John says, live a life that when those trumpets sound and when Jesus steps off his throne, you don't have to be ashamed when he comes to get you. Because there is going to be, there's going to be, you know, Nate talked about it Sunday, there's going to be works that are burnt up. There's going to be people that make it to heaven smelling like hell. And you'll get to stand before Jesus with his pierced hands and give an account for that, the fact that you've wasted everything that God gave you, every opportunity that God gave you, we wasted. Or will we stand there and say, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. The choice, it's ours. We choose the life we live. We choose if we want to step out in faith. We choose if we want to follow God. Every day we make a decision. Do we want to do it or don't we? And if we're right now, if we're thinking, yeah, I I'm, don't think I'm ready to see Jesus come back. I am a little ashamed of how I live my life. Start today. Right? Just like the Apostle Paul said, forget what's behind. Start today. Reach forward today. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Reach toward the call that God has for each and every one of your lives. Do you believe that God has a call on your life? Do you believe that God has a purpose for your life? If God didn't, you wouldn't be here. You would be gone with Him. He has a purpose for you. Start today and say, today I'm going to choose to serve you, Jesus. Just today. Today, help me today to serve you. Help me today to put to death my desires and my flesh that I can serve you and live for you and give me opportunity to do it. Pray that prayer every morning. Every morning, get up and say, today, God, help me today. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about what's coming. Today, God, give me the strength to do it today. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. He said, therefore, since we have such great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race, again, there's the race that God has set before us, fixing 
our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For now consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fixing our eyes on Jesus every day. We have to get up every day. Listen, this world's going to attack you every day. Every day this world has a problem that you can let pull you aside and distract you from what God has called you to do and how God has called you to live. Every day there's going to be a temptation that, that wants to pull you away from what God has for you. That's why the writer says every day get up and fix your eyes on Jesus. Get up and fix your eyes on the one who suffered the shame and subjected himself to all of this for you, for me. Fix your eyes every day on Jesus is what he says. Worry about finishing your race. Don't compare yourself to anybody else and worry about if you're better than them. Your race is your race. We're not all on the same course, right? My course may cross with yours, and God, part of my race may be to help you up or vice versa, but your race is your race, and because I look a little bit better than you don't mean that I'm winning my race, right? We can't compare ourselves to that. Everybody who's ever exercised or ran will tell you their goal is what? They want to beat their personal best. Every day, that's what we want to do. I want to be better today for Jesus than I was yesterday. I want to live better for God than I did yesterday. And then he says, God says to lay aside all that sin. We have to be willing to cut it off and lay it aside. It's a choice. We choose to sin. We have to be willing every day to lay it aside and fix our eyes on Jesus. Just like it wouldn't be a good idea to run a marathon, right? In a weighted vest and weighted ankles and everything. The, the writer of Hebrews says that's what sin does to you in your race. It weighs you down. It hinders you from finishing that race and being your best. God has not, God, we can't live that life choosing sin over God all the time. Let's go ahead and um, we're going to read uh, Ruth chapter 2 and then we'll close. Ruth 2.12 uh, says, and this is my prayer for all of us. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And that's my prayer, that every day we live a life that God can bless the work that we've laid out. Because we're all building something, right? We're all storing up something that we're going to lay before Jesus and say, here's my offering. Here's, here's what I've done, Jesus. And we'll all stand before that seat. And my prayer is, is that we're working and building that reward. To hear, well done, good and faithful servant. To be like the Apostle Paul that can receive that crown, that we may lay it back at the feet of Jesus and say, no, Jesus, you are the only one worthy of this. Let's go ahead and let's close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight, Lord, and we know, God, that sometimes your word stings. Your word sometimes uh, doesn't go down well when we're living contrary to it. And Father, that is my prayer, God, that anyone, anyone, God, who's been stung by your word would understand, Lord, that all they need to do is turn back to you. All they need to do is to seek their refuge in you, Jesus. God, help us every day, like your word tells us, help us every day to get up and forget what lies behind. Forget all the mistakes. Forget all the times we let you down, God. Forget all of those things, and don't let it hinder us anymore, but that we would get up, fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and reach forward to the call that you have on our lives, Lord. God, we just pray that you would give us, everyone in here, an opportunity, God, that you would open a door that we could do the work of an evangelist for you, God. God, we have the best gift that has ever been given. Help us, Lord, to have the strength and the desire to share it. And God, when we go about our week this week, God, let it, let our lives be a pleasing aroma to you, God. Let us live in such a way that you would be glorified for it. And God, help us every day to live expectantly, knowing that you're coming, and you're coming soon. And to seek and desire all those things that you have for us, Jesus. And we give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.